is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. Hey, Nailers fans, it's DJ Abacella coming at you with another edition of the Toolbox, presented to you by Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. In the ECHL, a lot of pride is taking on development, whether that be players or coaches, or as we've seen here in Wheeling, broadcasters, as we've had Dave Gosher and Brendan Burke both make it to the National Hockey League. Well, one of our division rivals has had a broadcaster make it straight to the National Hockey League. No pit stop in the AHL in between as Everett Fitzhugh, the former voice of the Cincinnati Cyclones, is my guest and he is now the voice of the NHL's newest team, the Seattle Kraken. Everett, congratulations on getting hired to the NHL. Your phone has to have just been blowing up like crazy the last few weeks. What's that been like? Thanks, man. It's uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, number one. You're, you're one of my best friends in this league. So I'm looking forward to, to this conversation here, man. But, um, yeah, it, it's been crazy. Uh, you know, I, I never thought it was going to be this widely talked about and this widely spread, but it's been crazy. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I've, I've had my phone on the charger most of this last two and a half weeks, you know, fielding calls and, and talking to people. But, you know, it, it's a very humbling experience. And everybody has been so welcoming and, and so kind from the organization to NHL broadcasters around the league, media people around the league who reached out to me and, and wished me well. And, um, you know, media folks in Seattle, fans, obviously everybody here in Cincinnati has, has just been so great and so supportive. So it's been a, it's been a whirlwind, you know, few weeks here, but it's uh, it's a dream come true, and it's uh, the start of, of a very, uh, what I'm guessing is going to be fun journey uh, ahead. What was the process like leading up to you ultimately getting hired? Did you have an idea of a time frame when they'd be making an announcement, or did you know how much you were in the running to actually get the job? You know, I didn't. Um, if you if you you want a, a full timeline, I mean, it goes back to this past February. Uh, Ryan Clark, who who is the Colorado Avalanche beat reporter for the Athletic, um, wrote an article for the Athletic's Black History Month coverage about me being the only black play-by-play announcer in hockey. Uh, the CEO of the Kraken, Todd Lightwicky, came across the article and he read it. He reached out to me and and actually said he was inspired by my story and and wanted to to learn more about me so we we talked over the phone we kept the the embers burning if you will and then COVID hit so the whole world gets turned upside down but he still emailed me in May and said that they were building for the 21 season and and looking to make some more additions to their staff and and if I'd be interested still in a position obviously I was so we uh, began the official interview process so I guess a few Zoom calls a couple of phone calls and and then a flight uh, out to Seattle later Uh, I was hired for my dream job job um, just a little bit after the 4th of July. So it was a pretty quick process once the official interview process started. But, um, you know, I, I didn't know who else was in the running. I didn't know if I was the only one. I didn't know if there were 100 people that I was going up against. 
but our conversations that we had were, were very good and, and I felt confident throughout the whole process, but you never want to get too far ahead of yourself. So it was something where I, I still had to keep things in perspective and, and keep a lid on things, no matter how good I may have felt about the prospects. But, you know, overall, it, it was a very cool process just to see how that interview process works in the NHL and, and when you're being recruited and, and being interviewed by a National Hockey League team it was it was very humbling and, and a very amazing uh, to be a part of that experience to experience that experience I guess like you said just getting to the NHL is such a proud moment and it's a goal that everybody in our business works towards but it's bigger than that for you like you said with the article being written you're the first black broadcaster in NHL history how proud are you of that you know, it, it, I'm very proud, and it is something that I, I think it's taken me a little bit to really realize and, and put it into to words and into thought about just how big it is. And, and I understand the importance of this situation, and I, I've been telling people this whole time, I don't think that anybody ever really sets out to be a trailblazer or, or to be the first, if you will, but for me to have an opportunity, you know, if I can help inspire and, and mentor and and tutor that next generation of, of black broadcaster or journalist or, or even hockey fan, I think for me, that's what's most important. Um, growing up as a black kid in Detroit, I didn't have a whole lot of black influences in hockey. You know, I was very fortunate to have been able to watch the likes of, of Mike Greer and Anson Carter and George The Rock and, um, you know, Jerome McGinley, Kevin Weeks, some of the really good black players from the late 90s and, and into the 2000s. But as far as broadcasting goes, as far as front office positions go, there really wasn't anyone that, that as a black person I could look up to. So I, I think what makes this opportunity so special is that I have an opportunity along with the David Ambers who works up in Sportsnet and, and the Kevin Weeks and the Anson Carters who are now in uh, media positions. I have an opportunity to, to help be that person that I never had when I was coming up to be a hockey fan, and that is a positive black influence in the game that lets people and that lets kids know there is a place for you in this game. There, this game is for you as a black child, as, as a minority child, as a female child, as a non-white male child. There is a place in this game for you. And I think that's the most important part to me about this position and being able to, to do this. Detroit has a rich hockey history. It has the Red Wings, an original six team right there. So you had a lot to follow. But somehow, prior to getting this job, you were an Edmonton Oilers fan. So how did you fall in love with hockey? And why Edmonton when you're right there in Detroit? So I was a Wings fan growing up, being from Detroit, and I, I became a sports fan just in general right around the time that the Red Wings were winning those back-to-back -back Stanley Cups in the late 90s, and you had the rivalries with the, the Wings and the Avalanche and, you know, all of that. I was a big Tigers baseball fan growing up as well. I played baseball my entire, you know, youth, my entire childhood. So I was just a sports fan in general, but I, I, I got into hockey as a, as a diehard fan probably around the third grade. Um, I went home one night and, and I was watching a Red Wings game and they were playing the Edmonton Oilers. And at the time, Edmonton had, Anthony, or had George The Rock and Mike Greer 
on the same team. So that was huge for me, like I just said, you know, to be able to see two black faces, two people who look like me playing the game of hockey, that was big and very inspirational. A couple of years later, Anson Carter joins the Oilers. So now you've got three black players on the same team. So they became my team. You know, I, I think I was probably about fifth or sixth grade when I became a full-fledged Edmonton Oilers fan. So right around... 2001-ish, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. That's when I became a full-fledged Edmonton Oilers fan. I still supported the Red Wings. They were my hometown team. And, you know, obviously when when you're 8, 9, 10 years old, you're, they're, they're the hometown team. They're winning, you know, so you're a front runner. I had no problem admitting that I, I rooted for the winners at, at 8 years old. So um, that's how I became a hockey fan. And ultimately, that's how I became an Oilers fan. Are Detroit and Edmonton on the top of your list of the road cities that you're most looking forward to going to when we open back up and you're able to travel with the team across the continent, or is there another city or two that's in that mix? Yeah, I, I think Detroit's number one. Um, obviously, being able to to do my first game and to broadcast my first game back home is, is going to be huge. You know, to uh, have my my mom in the stands and and my family in the stands. I mean, that'll be huge for me. Obviously, Edmonton. Growing up an Oilers fan, that's going to be great to to go to that city for the first time and you know be able to to call a game under the Stanley Cup championship banners and to be able to look up and and see the Gretzky and the Kevin. Lowe and the, the Yari Curry banners hanging up up there. So I, I think that's going to be really, really cool. Other than that, obviously any Canadian city with Montreal and, and Toronto, those are going to be some great places to go. MSG for a Rangers game. I mean, that's going to be an amazing you know uh, atmosphere, I think. And another place that I think will be special is going to go back to Washington, D.C. Um, I had an opportunity to do my first NHL game, my only NHL game uh, to this point, a uh, preseason game, a couple of years ago between the Capitals and the Bruins. So being able to, to go back to D.C. for the first time as a, a full-time NHL broadcaster I think would be pretty special. So they're, they're I mean, I, I can probably name something about all 31 arenas that we'll go to, but I think those will be the top ones that I'm looking forward to with, with Detroit hands down being at the top of that list. With Washington, D.C., John Walton's the radio broadcaster for the Capitals, and he was very instrumental in getting you that opportunity to do a preseason game. Which broadcasters have reached out to you that you thought, wow, that was really cool, and are there some that you're still hoping and looking forward to getting a chance to meet for the first time? Yeah, I mean, everybody that I've talked to during this whole process has been so amazing and so welcoming. And, you know, two ECHL alums, the last two ECHL alums that have made the jump directly from the, the ECHL to the NHL and Jack Michaels in Edmonton, Josh Bogorod down in Dallas have all reached out, have both reached out to me and have offered words of encouragement. And I have actually was texting with Jack Michaels a bit earlier today. So that, that's that been great. I've had Tim Saunders, the voice of the Flyers, has reached out to to me. Uh, Doc Emmerich uh, gave me a phone call, Bowling Green grad like myself, and we, we were able to have a, a nice conversation. John Weideman from the Chicago Blackhawks, former Cincinnati uh, Cyclones broadcaster back in the IHL days. Dan Duva, a former uh, uh, ECHL broadcaster, um, has reached out to me over the phone, and then I've gotten some great DMs in my Twitter and, and messages from the likes of Alex Faust and Brendan Burke. Um, David Amber ha- has reached out to me, Ray Ferraro, Elliot 
everything. So, so many people around the hockey world and around the sports world in general. Um, I've had both Baltimore Orioles broadcasters reach out to me and welcome me to uh, the big leagues. And, and it's been really cool just to see the support. And, you know, Deej, I, I think as, as broadcasters, we're, we're always taught, you know, no cheering in the press box and, and act like been there before. But when you're getting messages and when you're getting calls from people that you've been watching and, and looking up to for your entire life, you know, I'm going on 20 years now of watching the likes of Elliot Friedman and, and, and David Amber and, and listening to to these broadcasters do their job and, and be the best at what they do to now be getting phone calls from them and, and to now to be considered colleagues of them is something that you could never imagine in your wildest dreams and it's been a huge honor to be able to pick the brains of a lot of these guys and, and just to have some conversations with these people that you know you've been looking up to for so long. That's incredible. You must want to pinch yourself and maybe realize if it's even real at that point with some of those names. My goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So you're going to Seattle. We know by the landmarks there, the Space Needle, Pike Place Market are must-sees. What else are you looking forward to about your new home city? You know, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, we'll get into the hockey, the hockey side and the fan side here in a second. But I think for me, I've got some family out in Seattle and some cousins, and and it's going to be nice to to connect with them. You know, I've only ever met my cousins out there maybe two or three times in my entire life. I was out there when I was five weeks old. I went back out there when I was eight, and then we had a family reunion in Detroit when I was 19. So, um, you know that side of the family I don't know too well so it's going to be great to connect with those obviously the the weather in Seattle is great um, although being from Michigan and the Midwest I am going to miss my snowstorms I am going to miss my uh, you know my 95 degree humidity days so I, I'll have to, to make up for that another way but I think just being able to go to another part of the country um, you know I've, I've grown up in the Midwest I love the Midwest from Detroit to Bowling Green Chicago Young town now here in Cincinnati um, but to be able to, to go to a city and to a part of the country that is that is growing exponentially so many people are moving to Seattle and Portland and in the north uh, the, the Pacific Northwest region and to go to a place that is so diverse and so multicultural you know it's something that I'm looking forward to to be able to experience another part of this great country and I, I my fiance she is over the moon excited for the move and and happy to, to begin our life out in Seattle. So a lot that we're looking forward to. Um, I'm a big outdoors person, so there's going to be plenty of streams and, and hiking trails and, and weekend excursions to Mount Rainier and Mount St. Helens and probably up to Vancouver and Canada when they open the border back up again. So there's, there's going to be a lot that I'm looking forward to about this move and about this journey. And you mentioned, too, you wanted to talk about the fans and the hockey. Vegas, we saw them take off like a rocket when they first came into the yeah. league. And I've got to figure Seattle, this is their team right out of the crib also. This isn't a team that relocated. This is theirs from birth. Yeah, and that's the one of the main things that I've noticed. And one of the first things that I've noticed about this organization in the city is just how passionate and how excited everybody is 
for the return of hockey. I mean, er, and, and not even hockey, the return of a winter sport in Seattle. I mean, you have to go back to, what, 03, 04 when the Sonics left, maybe a bit after that. So this uh, city and this community has been starving for a, a winter pro sport for about 10 years, a little over 10 years now. And then you couple that with the fact of you're going into a market that is historically not a hockey market. You've got the major junior teams up there in the Western Hockey League. You've got Vancouver about a couple hours, two and a half hours north, but you don't have a hockey team that's going that you can call your own until now. So this, uh, the community and the fans are so excited. I mean, they've already sold out uh, season ticket deposits, I believe at about, what, 18, 19,000. There's a 36, 40,000 person wait list for season tickets right now. And you look at the position that we're in as an organization with Alaska, Idaho, Oregon, and obviously the rest of Washington State, you have a four-state untapped region of potential hockey fans. And for me, I'm looking forward to going into northern Washington and stealing some Vancouver Canucks fans away uh, from them. So, you know, the potential is massive there. The organization is already so committed and so dedicated to getting in the community, bringing the community to the team, bringing the team to the community as well. And and this is is an organization that, you know, I I can see this thing like uh, a Nashville really blowing up how how Nashville has that Smashville fan base and how they've been able to turn honky-tonk country music USA into a bona fide hockey town. And that is something we're looking to do up in Seattle. Let's shift back to the ECHL now and look back at your five years with the Cyclones. What are some of your biggest takeaways from working at this level, whether it's the people, the job, the places you went? Of course, I'm sure you have a lot of great things to say about Cincinnati, its organization, and its fans. Yeah, no, I mean, the the ECHL, this is a league that coming in uh, five years ago, I'll admit, I didn't know a whole lot about the ECHL. I didn't know a lot about how minor league hockey worked. Um, You know, being at Bowling Green for college and then having come from the USHL uh, league office and then the Youngstown Phantoms, it it was an area that I didn't know a whole lot about. So when I first got here, and when you realize that the old stories that you used to hear about minor league hockey you know you you go to a bar and and a hockey game breaks out when you come to this league now that's not the case and I was very surprised and pleasantly surprised that just number one the level of competition the level of play uh, at this league I mean this is a true development league and I love the fact that the league office and you know in my time starting with Brian McKenna and then now with Ryan Creelan as commissioner really putting a premium and an importance on development and fostering those relationships with the National Hockey League and the American Hockey League obviously the people in this league are great uh, the life of all my colleagues in the broadcast booth and all of the pre- the presidents and the team GMs and the coaches and players that I've met have all been great. And it was just something about this league that I think really epitomizes minor league sports, close atmospheres. You've got some small markets that are passionate about their teams. And, and it's a lot of work too. I mean, this is a, an industry that I equate it to teaching. You know, you, you don't get in this for the money. You do it because, you know, you love your students and you love to teach. 
you know, you do this because you love broadcasting and you love PR, and you, as well as everyone else around the league, DJ, can can attest that we've done it all. Broadcasting, PR, social, marketing, sales. I've been the mask before. Um, team services. So there's a lot of, of responsibility that goes along at this level. However, all of the things that I've done these past five years ultimately have led me to this position and have made me a better broadcaster, a better PR person, a better, you know, employee and, and just better understanding of the sports industry. Before I go into my list and make us both laugh like school kids, what are some oh, of your Lord. favorite memories, favorite games, favorite calls from your time with the Cyclones? Um, so I, I think, obviously, for me, the fact that we are very involved in the community here in Cincinnati is huge. So whenever we play on, you know, our, our throwback weekend, our teddy bear toss night, to be able to, to partner with the community and, you know, donate thousands of teddy bears and, and pack 14,000 fans into a building. Um, I, I think that's fantastic. As far as some of my favorite games go, has to be this year when, when Jesse Schultz got his 1,000th pro game. That was huge, I, I think, not only for him, but um, just for us as an organization. It was really cool to be a part of that milestone. My first game as a Cyclone, actually, in the regular season. I don't remember much about it, but I do just remember thinking to myself, you know, I'm a pro hockey broadcaster, and, and you know, I'm, the part of the dream has been realized. So I think that uh, that's one. Obviously, some of my favorite calls were on Teddy Bear Toss Night. I got to go back to a couple of years ago when I, I channeled uh, Yogi Bear and, you know, hey, boo-boo, looks like there's some bears in my picnic basket. So that was one of my favorites. Um, this year, Cincinnati, show me your teddies. I was a big fan of that one. So um, a lot of people who know me and know me well, I love to have fun. I like to bring an element of humor and show off my personality through my broadcast and through my calls. So, you know, there is just so many great memories that I've had here in Cincinnati. Um, our frozen 5Ks where every February, first weekend in February, usually around our Cyclones Fight Cancer Night, it's probably 35 degrees outside and we're putting on a 5K and that's the longest day of the year. I get to the rink at 4 o'clock and I'm usually home by 12.31 a.m. So, uh, but again, it's for the community and, and, and it's for cancer awareness. So, something that I always enjoy doing. So, it would be it would be really hard for me to put together a top five list because there have been so many great moments here. Traveling, obviously, all the travel that we do. I love the travel in this league. So, so many memories that I can point to that just have made this the best five years of my life. Fun fact about your first game, the game-winning goal was scored by Christian Manella, who also played for the Nailers and scored the game-winning goal in my first game as an ECHL broadcaster. So that's a pretty wild connection there. Okay. I did have your Yogi Bear impersonation on the list, which that's gutsy, man. <laughs> like, that's got to be hard. Did you prepare that beforehand? Because, like, quoting movies and TV shows mid-call, that's not an easy task. You can botch it easily. You can. And, and honestly, you know, that first Teddy Bear Toss game, it, it's a very, very long story about how I came up with it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can condense it down a little bit, but 
Obviously, the Calgary hitmen of the Western Hockey League are famous for their teddy bear toss games and, you know, 20,000 teddy bears and things like that. So I was listening to an interview out of a Canadian radio station and the broadcasters for the Edmonton Oil Kings who were playing uh, in their teddy bear toss. They were trying to to match the Calgary Hitmen for Bears, and the broadcaster for the Oil Kings was taking requests of Teddy Bear Toss goals. So he was having fans call into his radio show and say, hey, give me your best Teddy Bear Toss call if I like it. Um, you know, I'll run with it. So then that kind of got me to thinking of some pop culture references maybe that I could throw in there. Obviously, if you're a broadcaster, you've heard of Randy Moeller, former Panthers play-by-play guy, who has uh, put together some amazing pop culture references. Just YouTube Randy Moeller, M-O-L-L-E-R, and you'll come across some awesome stuff from him. So I got to thinking, how can I make this teddy bear toss call something? So I I played around with a few ideas, and I, I don't think we scored in the first period I was getting a little nervous and then it hit me in the intermission I was like that's the one that's the call so I I had it in the back of my mind and you're right if you think about it too much you're going to screw it up so he scored and it just rolled off the tongue and I was like wow I did not believe it was going to happen like that so I get through the call I say the time and the score and I pop my headset off for about 10 seconds and just let the you know the crowd and, and, and the noise tell the story. And I sank back in my seat, and I was like, whew, okay, I did it. Like, I was surprised that I was able to let it roll off the tongue like that. So that was, um, it was, it was nerve-wracking in the moment, for sure. One of my other favorites was your first ever trip to Portland, Maine. We were on a three-game trip just <laughs> like you were, playing the same three, Manchester, Worcester, and Maine. And you guys pumped them to the point where you were up 7 yeah. nothing in the first period, and we had just finished yeah. in Manchester, took the little puddle jumper drive down to Worcester, and I thought, oh, you know what, I'll check out the highlights because we're going to play Maine on Sunday, so let's see if Cincinnati's just that good against Maine or if Maine is a weak team that we can capitalize on here. So I'm watching each of the goals, and finally you guys go up 7 nothing in the first period. Poor Michael Keeley, great guy, the main broadcaster. I think he was about ready to jump mm-hmm. off the Casco Bray Bridge at that point. Is pretty well <laughs> as quiet as quiet can be, you know, and the Mariners are down 7 nothing in the first period. And it goes quiet for a second. Then all of a sudden in the background I hear, Touchdown Cyclones! That was one of my favorites. Yeah, again, that's just me trying to have a little bit of fun. So um, we've all had squirrely games either one way or the other. Our old head coach, Matt McDonald, told me one time, he said, every team every year is guaranteed to get blown out at least one time. You're never guaranteed to blow someone out, but every team will get blown out at least once every year. And sometimes when you're on the bad end of that, you have to have a little bit of fun. We've had some 8 nothing and, you know, 7 nothing drubbings. There was a, a game a few years ago where Evan Rankin for Toledo put up five goals on us, and I think we lost that game 7-2, 8-3, like that. So I've had my fair share of bad ones, but that one was a good one, and I just, you know, we were dominating. Brady Vale had a first period hat trick, and we scored the seventh. And I, I think the, uh, the Bengals had just had made a pretty big move that weekend or something like that because it was in February. So I forget what it was, or maybe it was around Super Bowl time. I'm not sure. But it just rolled off the tongue. And again, I was just, you know, I said, eh, why the heck not? We'll try it. Touchdown, Cyclones. And then 
my phone started blowing up. I can't believe you just said that. That was hilarious. And I was waiting for one of my bosses to text me in my office Monday morning, and it never came. So thank goodness for that. But uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, you never want to rub it in, but I, I, I saw it as an opportunity to have a little bit of fun. There's the good, there's the bad, then there's the shocking. Your first ever game yeah. at West Banco Arena would fall into this category. It was a 5-2 oh. Cyclones lead on school day with five minutes to go in the third period, and Wheeling comes back with five in a row. And this was my first ever game against you, so I didn't really know what to expect. I probably would have been destroying a press box if I was in your shoes. And this is how I knew <laughs> you were a pro right then and there, because you just looked at me and said, what just happened? Part of that was, A, me still being very new to the league. So, you know, you, you don't want to do too many things that are going to be controversial or make headlines. I mean, here in, you know, year five, I could do whatever I wanted, I felt like. And, you know, as long as you don't say the, the George Carlin seven dirty words, I think you'll be fine. But, uh, no, the, the, first, the first game in Wheeling, I remember that because I had never in my life have seen anything like that. You have a sizable lead going into the final five, and then you end up losing the game. I just, that was a quiet bus ride back. Actually, you know what? I take that back. If I'm not mistaken, I think we were headed to Kalamazoo for a Wednesday night game. I think we played Tuesday morning in in the wheel, and then we hopped on the bus. So that was a long, like, eight-hour, eight-and-a-half-hour bus ride from Wheeling to Kalamazoo, if memory serves correct. So, yeah, that was not, uh, that was not a fun ride at all. And I just remember that game as, to this day, being one of the loudest atmospheres I've ever been a part of because I promise you it was DJ's idea to give 5,000 screaming school children thunder sticks. And I remember after the game, our head coach was like, whose idea was it to give them all thunder sticks? And I, it was, it was an amazing atmosphere. Um, you know, West Banco has always been on, on their big nights when, when we've had the, the pleasure of playing wheeling on a school day, on a Friday, on a frosty Friday, or on a Saturday when it's a big theme night. I, I've always remembered those crowds just being so raucous. And I think I, we, we used to hate going to wheeling on a Friday or Saturday because you knew those crowds were going to be massive and rowdy and into it. And now you can throw school day into that as well. So that was, that was a fun, and I put fun in air quotes, that was a fun game to be a part of. Is that what sticks out to you the most about coming to Wheeling? I know being as close as we are, you don't get to do a lot of overnights here, so it's a lot of in and outs, mm-hmm. but is that what sticks out is just the, the passion of the crowds here? That's it. I, I think for me that's it. And, and if, if I offend anyone, I'm sorry. Uh, a lot of people hate the, the blue-collar cliche, but I, I feel like Wheeling just has that blue-collar, hard-working mentality. The people there have been very kind, but they're passionate. They love their nailers and Whenever the Cyclones come with it being, you know, one of the closer rivals, I think it is uh, the closest team to Wheeling, if I'm not mistaken, with it being that big of a rivalry and, and, and over the past couple of years playing more and more games against one another, it's always one of those games I look forward to. And the, the, some of the toughest games that I think that we've ever played have been those Sunday afternoons on a 3-3 three and three in Wheeling or, like I said, those Friday night games, Saturday night games in Wheeling when those crowds just get raucous and rowdy and I think it's just the passion 
and the pride and the energy that, that everyone in that building and in that town has for the Wheeling Nailers. Later on that season, this is the 15-16 season for reference, you and I had gone against each other at your place, and we were going to see each other in a few weeks, and you gave me a heads up, hey, I'm going to surprise you in a few weeks. So I came back, and it was St. Patrick's Day. And sure enough, I looked down the press box, and here you are standing there in an all-green suit, which, man, you talk about a fashion statement. Where would you find that thing? I found it online uh, through a website called Shinesty, and um, that idea, it kind of just came to me. I, I think somebody tagged me in a photo. One of our fans tagged me on Facebook and said, oh my goodness, it'd be so funny if you wore something like this for a game. And I went to my GM and I said, I mean, the people want it. And she said, hey, do it. I don't care. I'll even I'll even reimburse you for it. So um, I bought an all-green leisure suit, and that was my St. Paddy's Day suit. I put it with a white shirt and an orange tie, and I wore it, um, I think, for the next three years, four years, every St. Paddy's Day. And then I turned it into a Christmas suit where I threw a red shirt under it as well. So uh, that suit's gone on the road a couple times. Ironically enough, both times to Kalamazoo because we played – in each of Kalamazoo's, not this year, but last year and the year before, we played in, in each of Kalamazoo's last two um, St. Patrick's Day, a green ice game. So I'll bring it to KZU for that. Um, and obviously I've worn it here in Cincy. So it was uh, brought up by a fan, and I just decided to run with it. And luckily I feel no shame and, and very little embarrassment. So it was it was an easy decision for me to do. There's one other item, though, that gets a little bit more recognition from the suit, and this one doesn't involve the Nailers, but somebody else in the Central Division, the Fort Wayne Comets. It's the infamous seat cushion, which I know has a ridiculously (laughs) long name to go with it, and the idea is the winning broadcaster in the games between the Cyclones and the Comets, you and Shane Alberani, gets to keep the cushion. How did that tradition start? Who won it more? And probably most importantly now, what's going to happen to it? Yeah, so uh, again, it was a, um, it was started kind of weirdly. We had a um, seat issue up at the press box. One of Shane Alberani's seats was missing when he came to uh, to the arena, and there was just a a broken seat cushion sitting on top of, uh, on top of his broadcast position. And I said, you know what, I, I took it out to make some more room for you. And it just hit us, you know, what if whoever wins this game, we get to take the seat cushion home. So it's the Comets Cyclones Broadcasters Challenge Championship Memorial Traveling Seat Cushion Trophy of America. Longest name possible. And we just decided to pass it along. Um, I've won it more than Shane. I think I've got a two-game lead on Shane. Uh, so if I'm not mistaken, I think it's something like eight to six or nine to seven, something like that, since we started playing for it a couple of years ago. And Shane got to keep it all summer, one year because of the playoffs. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't too thrilled uh, about that. Or I'm sorry, he, he got to keep it because they won the last regular season game. So we got to keep it. We would have played them if we had a beaten Toledo in uh, the uh, the second round a couple years ago. So it was uh, it was kind of an accident how it got started. I still have it here in Cincinnati. Actually, uh, I, I'm trying to decide if I want to keep it for whoever my, my replacement is and, and give him a little rundown on the meaning of the trophy or should I just retire it 
and gift it to Shane as my going away present. Shane wants option B, uh, but I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do with it. You should get something engraved on it with your series or who won how many games or something like that, and then then maybe you, you do it as a gift. I could probably do that. That actually wouldn't be a bad idea. I, another thing we thought about doing was to uh, you know go the the flavor flav route and put a, a, a chain around it and turn it into a gaudy oversized necklace. So again, there's a few options. I've got a few weeks before I head out of town and I'm actually, I think we'll be driving and passing through Fort Wayne on our way out to Seattle. So I might be able to stop through and hand it off to him. That's awesome. Did we cover everything or did we leave anything out? I think that's it, man. I, I think we, we, we hit the nail on the head when it comes to the last five years in, in the ECHL and, and all of our antics and, and things like that. I mean, you know, obviously uh, you, you've been a, an amazing friend and a colleague and a, and a mentor because, you know, you, you're, you're one of the legends in this league, Deej, and it's, it's been an honor and a privilege to, to be able to work alongside you and, and all of these games that we've been able to do together and the friendship that you and I have built. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss you and I'm going to miss the folks in Wheeling and the staff every single time I come to Wheeling, you know, the staff is so great and so kind to me. And, you know, it, it almost feels kind of like a second home when you think about it. We're there every preseason. We, we make about four to five trips uh, in the regular season there every single year. So after a while, you get to you get to know people and you get to know faces. And, um, you know, people have always treated me so nicely and so graciously. So Wheeling is one of those places that even though it's it's never fun loading in bags at 3 o'clock in the morning on a, on a cold February morning in Wheeling, I'm always going to miss the, the time that I've spent there. I can say the same about you, man. The friendship that we've developed over the last five years has just been something that I'll cherish forever. When we play each other, it's almost like the game is just kind of a secondary attraction there. I just want to hang out, chat with you, and literally we're both having as much fun as we can doing the job that we love and just enjoying each other's company. So I'm very grateful for all of that. I can't wish you enough of the best in Seattle, in the NHL. I mean, what a great experience this is going to be for you i cannot wait to see you when you come to either pittsburgh or columbus and be able to get together and reminisce about what life's been like and how both of our seasons are going at both of the two levels so thank you for everything that you've done for me and for the great friendship that we have yeah man and and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to double your graders intake for me now that i'm not going to be around anymore i think uh I can get graders in, in a couple of Idaho grocery stores, but that's about it. So you're going to have to, to eat graders for me. I can do that for you. Everett, thanks so much for taking <laughs> so much time with me today, going down memory lane and talking also about what this means for you to be in the NHL, to get your start with the Seattle Kraken. Good luck up there. Safe travels getting there, too. Thank you very much, man. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure to, to do this and to, to have worked alongside of you. And, and this is not goodbye, man. This is see you later. Friendships like this don't, uh, don't die just because one of us moves away. So I'm looking forward to continuing to, to talk and, and hang out and, and reminisce and catch up from time to time. That was Everett Fitzhugh, the newest voice in the NHL of the Seattle Kraken, who will debut during the 2021-2022 season. He is the former voice of the Cincinnati Cyclones. I'm DJ MSL saying thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of The Toolbox, presented to you by Coors Light. We'll have more exciting episodes throughout the summer. 